and welcome to episode 341, the last ever episode of the At Percussion podcast. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Caleb Pickering. How's it going? And uh, Carly Vigna. Hey, Ben. Happy last episode. Yes. How are you doing, Carly? Doing good. There's actually kind of like an ice storm happening here. The, the trees look really pretty. Gotcha. Yeah, Carly, uh, Carly, we're actually ending the podcast because Carly needs to go practice for our bar talk performance coming up soon. So, this is uh, true. <laughs> yeah, I just won't have the time for it in the next several months. Bar talk, Bernstein. Yeah, and the lovely Ksenia Kamunovic. Hey, Ben. Hey, friends. Congratulations. We've made it. <laughs> Ksenia uh, just got to Serbia and is very well rested and not at all jet lagged. So <laughs> this. This episode could go great. And uh, our, our guest of honor for the day is our founder and buddy co-host, Casey Cangelosi. Casey, how are you? Hey, team. Happy last episode. Ben, thanks for the idea. This is, uh, yeah, it's real thoughtful. Have me be the last guest. That's that's cool. And Carly, get used to this freezing rain thing around here. It's pretty cool. Like your car will get completely like encapsulated in a perfect thin sheet of ice um, at least once a year. It's pretty cool. Can't wait. It's and not great. very safe. <laughs> and I have a surprise for everyone in the room. Does anyone have a guess as to what the surprise is? You're pregnant. Uh, I am not pregnant, no. <laughs> anyone? Is it uh, a, a bocked or knocked? It is not. It is even better than that. Welcome to the podcast, one of our OG hosts, Megan Arns. Wow. Oh, cool. hey. hey, good idea. <laughs> Hello. There she Whoa, is. Whoa, cool. Welcome, hey, Megan. <laughs> wow, Hi, cool. You know hey. <laughs> Legend. Megan, how Long are you? Go see. Yeah, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well. I'm I'm very sorry, Megan, that you performed at PASIC and Carly knows this all too well. I had this day at PASIC that I got like deathly ill and couldn't make it. But how'd your PASIC performance go? It was good. Yeah, good. it was good. I'm sorry you were deathly ill. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it wasn't fun. <laughs> Better yeah. now. Looks like you've recovered. Yeah. That's so it was uh, marimba and saxophone or percussion yep, and saxophone? It was, it was a collection of pieces that we had commissioned for marimba, saxophone, and electronics. So. Awesome. Yeah. Are there, you know, are there any recordings on... It can sometimes be challenging. So yes. it's like... Oh. Carly knows that. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about that. Everything went well and it was it was fun. Yeah. So well, thanks so much for joining us today, Megan. I, I asked Megan, you know, hey, do you want to stop in and say hi? She's like, yeah, sure. I'd love to just like kind of sit in for the whole hour. So we got we got Megan Arns with us. It's pretty cool. Thank so um, yeah. When we uh, when we decided to sort of uh, you know pull the plug on the podcast, um, I insisted that Casey would be our final guest of honor, um, and we had some listeners send in questions for Casey. Um, so we'll get to the first one uh, from Todd Meehan, Liquid Drum, uh, biceps or triceps? <laughs> <laughs> they were all know what... really. <laughs> good one, Todd. I only know what one of those are, so I guess biceps. <laughs> all right, good. And uh, from Reese Ryland, what's your favorite episode of South Park? Oh, man, South Park is good. Um, geez, favorite. I, you have to give me a minute. That's that's tough. Paris Hilton. We'll say that Paris Hilton one. There you go. 
Cool. Awesome. Well, I think that was the, uh, I think that was mostly the funny questions out of the way, but Casey, uh, since we're, since we're wrapping on the podcast here, I was wondering, could you tell us like where this whole podcast idea come from and, and why did you pick us? Um, right. Well, let's see. Well, gosh, Megan and Ben, you're, you're the, um, uh, two of the originals. And, um, I, I think the idea of who to pick was to pick people who were, were kind of all positioned at different times in our careers, I mean, including me. So we'd have kind of a variety of perspectives and kind of just a, a variety of places that we all sit in. And then I guess just the need for the podcast at the time, there wasn't really quite anything exactly like this. There, there I know there was a um, like a, a DCI podcast there was I think numerous drum set podcasts but there, there wasn't anything quite in our niche and yeah it really felt like wait this isn't that hard to do and the the structure exists for it I was a guest on a podcast that doesn't exist anymore um sound oh my gosh I'm, I'm not gonna be able to think of it um it's okay. It doesn't exist anymore. It's still all posted, but they kind of used a, a Google sheet similar to the way we do. And I thought, yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's so easy. And yeah, why the heck not just do this? Awesome. Yeah. And uh, in the beginning, we actually, uh, we were recording before the days of Zoom even. So mm -hmm. the very first episodes, Casey was like screen recording his computer and it was a uh, <clears throat> much lower tech than we we are now um and unfortunately the we only lost one episode ever from a technology failure mm -hmm. and that one was sadly jennifer higdon which yeah. <laughs> of all of them to lose we're like oh no i know uh, but okay. she was she was super sweet about it we had like the last five minutes and we asked can we just post this and she said yes that'll be fine um ksenia yeah. you had something yeah, I was going to say we can always do like a friends reunion in 20 years and uh, have Jennifer Higdon come back on because because we lost it. But I was going to say, I think uh, all of this came uh, because I interviewed Casey about 10 years ago, exactly when right. I was a kiddo in grad school and I bothered him at PASIC. He was very, very busy. You can probably find that that's this most likely like the most popular video on my channel, but it is an interview with Casey Cangelosi that's 30 minutes long and I'm asking him the stupidest questions, but I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm talking Casey Cangelosi. And um, I feel like he took that idea and was just like, this Eastern European doesn't know what she's doing, but she's onto something. Let me make well, a business out of it. Well, well, I will say it was one of the reasons I thought you'd be a great co-host. Like, well, I remember that experience and you seem interested in this. And I mean, like you guys all know, and all of our friends out there doing podcasts know this is, it's tough. I mean, it's like, it, it is, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of organization. It's a lot of prep. It's it's a lot of editing. I mean, I'm pretty sure I use a, a left-handed mouse and two mice at my office now because of the the freaking tendonitis I've got from editing podcast and from uh, and from composing. It's like I've switched to my other hand now because it's it is just a lot a lot of work. So so someone who's interested in it really matters. You know, it's like oh yeah, you got to be got to be really interested and passionate about this to to yeah be able to do it. Well, one of the ways the podcast has evolved over time is we've had different segments, including the one that I didn't forget about today. Um, and that is our This Day in History segment. <laughs> so if you're uh, listening to this podcast on the day it's released, it's being released on December 22nd. So Carly, what happened this day in history? 
Yeah, definitely didn't forget about it. You just have to dig a little to get to the history segment. I'm so excited for Casey that I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) There's like a lot of things that happened on December 22nd in in music history. I was a little excited as I was doing my prep for this one. So there are a couple of premieres. Um, The first, this is really interesting. In 1808 on December 22nd, um, guess how many premieres Beethoven had? How many different pieces on one concert? Oh, I think I've read Big this pieces. one before. Um, I, I don't remember the number. I should remember a lot, right? Is this is this the one that there were two symphonies premiered and it was like the higher number was premiered? It was like five and four or six and five, something like that. The higher number yeah. was, yeah. Five I've and six, this. both symphonies. Like, can you imagine the premiere of Beethoven five and Beethoven six, like back to back? I just think it's crazy. And then his choral choral fantasy and also piano concerto number four in which Beethoven was the soloist, they were all premiered on the same program. Like that's wild. I kind of read this. I was like, oh, Beethoven premiere, that's real good. And then I I read it again. I was like, wait, that's a lot. So kind of interesting. That was in in Vienna. Do you know how long like all that music is put together? I mean, the piano concerto is not short in and of itself. I mean, I imagine close to two hours. Yeah, something like that. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, all Beethoven. Um, in, in 1894, there was another cool premiere. This was the, the premiere of Debussy's Prelude to Afternoon of the Fawn um, in Paris, which is pretty cool. Um, there's a, a couple of interesting birthdays on December 22nd. Um, Varese was born. Edgar Varese, uh, French-American composer, he was born in Paris. Many of our listeners are probably familiar with Verez. Um, of course, in the percussion world, he is most well known for the percussion ensemble piece, Ionization, for percussion, piano, and two sirens, which was written in 1931. Um, ben, quick question. Was Ionization the first percussion ensemble piece? It depends what metric you use. <laughs> uh, there's uh, Shostakovich in track from the nose and Alexander Trepnin, Symphony Number no. 2, the scherzo, both have a percussion only movement, um, but they're obviously not independent pieces. And then I think the roll down rhythmicas also come first, but they're part of like a suite of pieces. So they're for percussion alone, but rhythmicas number five and six are, but there's also one through four. So, but I think if you're talking about exclusively percussion only percussion ensemble piece, then yes, Varez, I think is the answer. There you have it straight from Ben Charles at Percussion Podcast History Buff. So aside from ionization, Varez uh, was really well known for, for some other works. Hyperprism is for winds of percussion in 1923. Density 21.5 for solo flute was written in 1936. And the famous poem Electronique uh, from 1958, which was written for the Phillips Pavilion at the Brussels World Fair. Um, and was, aside from it, oh, go uh, ahead. There was, there was one other, I think it was a, another Varez piece. And I wish I could tell you what it was, but uh, ionization has the sirens in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in, I don't quote me on this, but I think it was in New York City, there was a, uh, you couldn't use sirens in a musical performance because there was a war going on. And so uh, he was actually commissioned to write another piece like ionization, but with no sirens. But wow. I can't tell you the name of it. Sorry. Does that exist? <laughs> yeah, I think so. We learned oh. about it in Merch's percussion history class. That's cool. So aside aside from his composing, Varese was active in promoting performances of works by other 20th century composers. He founded the International Composers Guild in 1921 and the Pan American Association of Composers in 1926. Um, and these organizations um, 
had performances and premieres of works by like a lot of big names, Bartok, Berg, uh, Carlos Chavez, Henry Cowell, Charles Ives, Ravel, Poulenc, Webern, um, basically like it's a who's who of 20th century composers. Um, and then I didn't know this, on the other end of the spectrum, Verez also founded um, the Scholar Cantorum of Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1937 and the New Chorus in 1941, which were both dedicated to the performance of music of the past, including works by Periton, Schutz, and Monteverdi. So those uh, historical figures we all learn about in music history. So there was one other, I, I really do want to get to the guest, but one other big uh, birthday in 1939, Ma Rainey, um, whose birth name was Gertrude Pridgett. Uh, she's an American blues singer. She's known as mother of the blues. She died. Oh, this isn't a birthday. Sorry, I misspoke. This was a death day. She died on December 22nd at age 53. Um, and she was a really prominent American blues singer and early blues recording artist. She was really influential to kind of the next generation of blues singers. Um, she began singing as a teenager, and then um, she, Gertrude Bridget began going by Ma Rainey after she married another blues singer, Will Pa Rainey, in 1904. Um, she recorded with a whole lot of people, with um, Thomas Dorsey, who's a pianist, not to be confused with Tommy Dorsey, who is a famous trombonist and band leader, um, Tampa Red, Louis Armstrong. She had a duo with her husband that was called Rainey and Rainey, Assassinators of the Blues. And she toured with the Georgia Jazz Band. She was really well known for her powerful voice, um, majestic phrasing, and kind of a, a moaning style of singing. So a couple of her recordings, Bow Weevil Blues and Moonshine Blues, are really kind of representative of her style. So if you feel like listening to Ma Rainey today, you can check those out. Um, two number one charts, these I included just for fun. In 1958, everybody's favorite Christmas song, the Chipmunk song reached number one. <laughs> if I could include it and we wouldn't anymore. get flagged, I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> and in 1984, Madonna's Like a Virgin hit number one on the charts. Um, but the, the real big thing that happened in music history on December 22nd is that in 2022, the mm. final episode of Application Podcast aired. <laughs> the big deal. The big deal. <laughs> With a lovely history segment by Carly Vigna. Thanks, Carly. <laughs> the last one. Well, to get back to our, our guest of honor for the day, Casey, we had a question about this, and I'm sure you're going to like roll your eyes at this, but I want to ask you about this because I'm, I'm nerdy also. Um, but uh, my introduction to Casey, like many of us, was, was through YouTube. Um, and I was very impressed with uh, one of Casey's videos, um, and actually to the point that I asked Casey to be a guest artist at the school I was teaching. Uh, and I had a student that played Casey's piece, White Knuckle Stroll, for him. Uh, not quite as fast as Casey, but we had a question from Luca Vidala, who said, what is the idea behind the White Knuckle Stroll? And uh, after Ka Casey talks, Caleb has actually made his own version of this piece. I'd love to hear Caleb talk a bit. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I think, yeah, very, um, it, it's actually as far as like thematic and meaning, it's like, I'm not proud of it at all. It's just like fun, flashy show off. Uh, I had a, I had my first PASIC showcase performance ever in uh, whenever, whatever year that was written. And I was teaching at Concord University and all we had was a low A. And we had the, the great uh, Loe Musser Marimba that uh, every university has, at least one of them. 
And uh, I had to prepare rep for the showcase performance. And all I had was a low A. And I thought, okay, there's certainly some rep I can play that's already low A, but I'll, I'll just need to write some. So um, it was really, it was really a good uh, box to be put in because, like you said, Ben, that's a, a really popular piece, and it's only requires a low A. And I had a few other pieces I wrote that also only require a low A. And yeah, without that pressure, I wouldn't have had them. So nope, I just thought I just need something like stupid, flashy, stupid show offy that I can show myself off at PASIC with. So that is like all that piece exists for. <laughs> Have you ever seen anyone play it faster than you? I don't think that's I mean, possible. Yeah. I mean, probably. Really? I think, I don't know, probably. I don't yeah. think that exists. I don't believe you. What about the that's whole, true. like, the weird, like, mallet shaft on the edge of the key stuff? Where did all, where did all that come from? I like snare drum tricks, I think. You know, you can do that back and forth with stick. And I, I may have already had a piece doing that on the on snare drum. But, I, yeah, I mean, you've seen, like, drummers do that before. Drum set players do that, certainly. So I don't know, it's just a way to get like a lot of activity out of two mallets and try to make like the densest, busiest thing possible out of two mallets and a small marimba. So this is your Smells Like Teen Spirit. And uh, when was the last time you played this piece? And how much would we have to pay you to play it now? I still, <laughs> still play it now. Um, I feel like I played it not too long ago. I made like a little extended version. So if you go to the um if you ever do the ensemble version which actually that's how i met megan arns too is we did the ensemble version at midwest with her group but there is um a, a little extension in the middle that's probably the best music in there um but let's see no i would gladly play it again um i played it as an encore at the virginia music educators association when i was hired here so probably you know i probably played it um seven years ago there and I've probably played it like maybe four years ago or something like that no you don't have to pay me much and it smells like team spirit is probably better I think Nirvana has more to say than that piece does if you ever go to call JMU and you have to be on hold with like the registrar <laughs> I love this <laughs> okay so they pulled music from performances and very frequently you'll be on okay one second we'll put you on hold and you're here it's yeah, really weird going. it's really weird somebody picked that and it's from that concert you know they recorded that and yeah that's like the the worst hold music i could think of you know but that's what they... it's so anxiety inducing like you're so anxious yeah. about your grades yeah. calling the registrar <laughs> yeah. yeah right it's right. not relaxing <laughs> like yeah I'm, hey my, i'm calling the registrar because my meal plan uh card got you know hijacked and i'm now in debt and it's a major major thing and yeah you have to listen to that i don't know if somebody thought that was a good hold music i had i had totally forgotten i, I knew there was the ensemble version but i totally forgot that like megan's group played that so megan what, what was that like was that the first time you'd met casey in person that was the first time i met casey in person i had like just gotten this job at missouri and Julia Gaines had already set the program. She's like, oh, we've got Casey lined up and he's gonna do white knuckle stroll with the ensemble. I was like, what? Cool, that's amazing. So um, I was the one that sort of like implemented the whole program, of course, since I, I was the teacher that semester. Um, but it was so cool to, to have Casey in. And of course, we were great with the students and they were all like super starstruck and the performance was awesome. And I remember that you had like this little, or this is so weird, sorry. You had this like, awesome orange suitcase uh -huh. do you still have that 
Yeah, yeah, I have a little orange suitcase. I now have an awesome orange suitcase because I remember. Really? I just remember cool. that we, we were like, you know, carrying that everywhere, and I was like, "This is a great suitcase. I want to get a suitcase like this." I'm, I'm seeing like the. And I finally carousel. did it. I'm seeing like the luggage carousel at Indianapolis, where Megan and Casey both reach for the same bag at Pacific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's either mine or Megan's. I'll no, get an orange suitcase. Maybe I'll play better. That was, that was a that was a really fun experience and yeah Megan I mean Megan had this thing totally fell on her lap you know her her predecessor and and uh, still department chair Julia still department chair uh-huh. this is her last year though uh-huh I thought I saw something yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah we gotta talk about yeah we're, let's, yeah what Jules is doing but um yeah yeah it's cool but yeah Megan had this totally yeah just kind of, it fell on her lap and it was great though I mean we like yeah, I mean, but I would have picked start, the same yeah. piece and the same performer if it hadn't fallen in my lap. I would have. Oh, picked sure, you thanks, also. thanks, thanks. But it was awesome. Like, yeah, you For guys did so good, and and since then, like a lot of your students have played some of these pieces. Like, I still remember, yeah. I still remember that visit I did. I don't know if it was the same visit, but I I remember one of your students named Shane had his saxophone teaching exam. And he needed a um, he needed he needed someone who's never played saxophone before, to, and he needed to do a teaching demonstration <laughs> I love for this. his teacher. <laughs> and I think I had to play I think I had to play like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and the scale. And like right there in front of the teacher, he taught me the the scale and Twinkle Twinkle. And the teacher was like, the you know, but anyway, it, was, it was fun. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I remember Shane was like is it appropriate if I ask Casey? And I was like, you could ask him to see what he says. What the, what's the worst you could say is no, right? And then I was like, oh, sweet. He's doing it. That's amazing. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. That was great. Very on brand of Casey that he will agree to these kinds of crazy things. Um, <laughs> so I would like to ask Caleb to explain his four mallet uh, version and inspiration behind it and uh, writing the coattails of Casey's great um which, great which press. if I can add like Casey's white knuckle stroller is difficult like I mean it is very very virtuosic difficult Kayla's piece is even harder it's or Kayla's version is even harder like I I don't see how like how it's possible <laughs> well then as we talked before we started recording when you practice <laughs> you're able to accomplish more things you're trying to go for um no i just uh it was uh oh it was the 10-year anniversary um or was approaching the 10-year anniversary that piece came out and i was just looking for something to something short to do that was composition related but wasn't original stuff and i didn't really want to you know, arrange something. So I was like, oh, well, this is fun. I've played this several times and I just kind of goofing around. I was like, hey, this kind of, this could work out some way if we edited some stuff. And yeah, just kind of became a little weekend project and it came out really quick. Were you teaching at JMU by then or were you still a student? Yeah, yeah that was the first year I was teaching there. Okay. Yeah. In my, in my head, it was all up in your office. So, okay. How much slower are you when you play the four mallet version versus two mallet? Oh no, faster, Ksenia. Faster? Seriously? Faster. The weight. You have more weight to play around with. Wow. So impressive. You're so good. God, thank you, Ksenia. That's going to get me through the rest of the holiday season. Well, I'm going to give KK so much crap for the rest of this episode. This is my last chance. To <laughs>
Casey, you were talking about the like the snare drum stick trick stuff uh, with the, and that's kind of how you came with that edge of the Merma bar thing. Um, and we had a question on just wondering if meditation number three for snare drum is going to exist. And also you have meditations number one and two, uh, one of which my student is playing right now. So tell us about those pieces. Yeah, so so the first one, um, one of my one of my sponsors, the Majestic Drum Company, they have this new, well, really their first symphonic snare drum coming out, and so since they've had a lot of iterations of that drum, and they just came out with a a new series called the Opus One, and they've been keeping that going, but their very first one ever, it was also. Um, I want to say it was some basic concert as well. And so it's like, hey, here's the drum. They gave me one of the prototypes. And and I thought, okay, well, I need to write a piece for it, uh, for the announcement of this drum. So I, I wrote the meditation number one and kind of the whole idea, like if you know the piece, you play it the rim, on the rim for like a long time. And then you just like gradually get to the head of the drum and play like traditionally like the first thing you do is like flick the head and then you do some rim knocks and you do like some quick finger flicks on it until eventually you're like graduating up to it and so it was kind of a funny idea in that like oh okay i can imagine uh chris and jeff and the friends at majestic like sitting in pasic audience and they're like listening to the rim and they're like okay great he's playing the rim okay cool it's been a few minutes when is he going to play the drum like please hit the drum you know so kind of a tease but it actually turned out to be uh really important to the concept of the piece because it's about like starting in place a and like elevating yourself to place and, and destination b so uh, meditation kind of became the theme of it and now all those pieces kind of fit that same um program metaphorically uh so yeah actually yeah three three will come and three actually exists but it's waiting on a a premiere um or some more email discussions about whether there will be a premiere or not so yeah there'll be there'll be a continued continuation of that series i've, I've heard you tell this story about you know like playing on the room for so long like the one detail you don't you don't mention is that also the first time you do play the drum you literally like flick the drum one mm -hmm. time and then go back to the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that's kind of the yeah the humor of it. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Hey, Megan's got a good idea. Do you have like favorite episodes? Like, what do you guys think is like kind of your your highlight? Let's start with Megan. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if it was my favorite or most memorable, but I think the funniest episode that I was laughing the hardest for, for was. Um, Episode 13 with Bill Schultes when we all dressed up in Halloween costumes. <laughs> I remember. And um, yeah, I went back to look for it to see if there was a good screenshot. And that was when we were still on Skype. So there wasn't like, we weren't all in this, in this, in the window at the same time. So it would have to be separate screenshots. But I just remember laughing so hard. And Ben had this like giant penguin outfit on. <laughs> Not only did I have the, I had a big penguin costume, but when I wasn't talking, I would sit there and I would flap my wings. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was just like ridiculous. And that's, you know, this is episode 13. So we like just started this. We were like all getting to know each other. And then everyone gets on with these like ridiculous costumes. I don't know, Casey, you were a pirate, I think. I think I have a pirate um, thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what Laurel was. Um, I, and I think I didn't have a costume and there was this like ridiculous box of this 
like a box where you like a cutout where you could put your face in it and I had a wig on and, and it looks like I'm like a Chinese astronaut with a cat mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I just remember laughing so hard it was a great episode so check out episode 13 if you haven't listened to it or you have to see it actually well, for what it's worth, the first year, the first Halloween that I was on the podcast must have been probably 2019. And Casey had put in the, the group chat like, oh, Halloween recording, wear costumes. And I thought it was a joke. And so I show up and I think it was just me, Casey and Ben at the time. I show up and like, I didn't have a costume. It was like, <laughs> like, like, are we, are we doing this? And Casey had something. I don't remember what it was. And he's kind of like, guys, like what, like what's going on? <laughs> It's like that, that episode of The Office where Pam dresses as Charlie Chaplin. She's like, if I take the hat off, I look like Hitler. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ksenia, what about you? What was your favorite episode? I, uh, I feel like uh, it ended up being, I mean, of course it's Steve Schick because I think I cried most and like lost a, a pound of water uh, during that one. But I think when it comes to laughing, it was the time when Casey booted me out of uh, host privileges because I <laughs> muted him too many times or something. I remember a battle. Yeah, I do remember a, there was a fight. Yeah. You muted me. I took away your sharing privileges or something, even though there's no sharing needed. Don't worry. I just muted Ksenia for you. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> I don't remember what episode that I don't remember who the guest was for that one. <laughs> Like the conversation, it was actually pretty, it was even funnier because if you. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> this is what it's turned into, Megan. It's been like three or four years of this. The guest would speak about a serious topic and then all of a sudden you'd see Casey and me crying and like gesticulating and it's like all of a sudden I'm muted and I'm <laughs> clawing at the screen. I think if we're to, the hardest I've laughed, I think, was when we kind of just decided we're going to start taking unison drinks. Oh I don't know. The poor, the poor guest, like the poor guest was, I don't know, probably saying something great and good. And I don't know. It's like, like Caleb just did. He took a sip. And I remember like I was watching, I, I think, Ksenia waiting for her to take a sip. And then I just joined her. And then everyone kind of picked up on that. And then we all, yep, started doing it. And I feel like it came a, became a tradition for, I don't know, two episodes after that or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, when that started happening, I, I laughed pretty hard. I, I still was like, I don't know, Evelyn Glennie really sticks out in my mind. I mean, she's just been like such a lifelong hero of mine. And she, it was just really inspiring, like how much she put into the episode, despite like, she's freaking Evelyn Glennie, like she can just say anything and we'll listen, you know, but she still like gave us so much really good stuff. So I don't know, there's a lot of, a lot of really, really good ones. That one comes to mind first though. Carly, what about you? Yeah, I was just thinking about this this morning. I mean, the, the big ones that stick out, of course, are Evelyn Glennie and Steve Schick. And they weren't that far, like a couple months apart, we had those big names on. Um, it was really meaningful for me having John Tafoya on, one of my mentors. That was that was really cool. Um, but one one thing that I've loved about the podcast since even since I was just a listener 
um, is that you not not only are the hosts at different points in their careers, um, especially in the beginning, but like all the guests are too. And that's been a, a really great thing just to kind of get the behind the scenes, even people that don't have super high profile careers, like just knowing where, where are you at? What are you doing? What makes you tick? Um, and hearing these experiences that we don't always hear about. So there's too many to name, but those are some of the big ones. And I had totally forgotten about the water drinking, but that was hilarious. I think we did it for like two episodes and then we all were like, we, do we have to stop doing this? We gotta get, <laughs> we gotta get, we gotta get serious. Don't have enough then. brain space to drink <laughs> and to listen. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the variety of guests because that was always a goal, you know, that like from the very beginning, that was always a goal to get people of all uh, different places, shapes and sizes, you know, on the on the show. And I'd always be amazed, like, you know, we'd be, I don't know, 200 episodes in and we get a comment that's, you know, we just posted, you know, I don't know, Javon Gilliam or some, you know, high profile guest or Evelyn Glennie and someone will comment, why don't you ever do like smaller name people? Like what? There's like a huge history of like all sorts of different people. Like just take a two seconds on the guest list. Uh, anyway, it's just, it's um, interesting and amazing. Caleb, what about you? Uh, the one I was involved in that I think was the most fun was the Wave Quartet when we did that one just a year or so ago. And I think the one that I wasn't involved in is probably Mark Applebaum's. That that one was pretty. Oh yeah, just so out there on yeah. every sense of the word that it's cool to kind of get inside his head a little bit. I think I've listened to the Mark Applebaum episode more than any other one. Like I've come back to it several times. Oh, same, yeah. I still that was great and I remember the wall right he was like behind the eyes of like really bright colored wall I don't remember what color it was it was orange or purple or something and it was yeah like it was perfect yeah we, we only saw that one room but I imagine his house like looks like he does like so he wears like neon green shirt and bright pink pants and like a polka dotted bow tie and has like crazy hair or whatever it's like so your house would look something like Wee Herman's playhouse like it would just be zany and it kind of seems like maybe it is you know i think uh i i still tell my students about uh mark apple applebaum's the taco bell plan uh which i don't i don't want to detail that if you if you want the details you got to go find that episode and, and find that uh that bit of knowledge on it but for me my favorites have been of course like the some of the huge names like uh gordon stout evelyn glenny lee howard stevens steve schick alan Adi were all great um, but one of my favorites was uh, Emil Richards, just because he was such a huge icon in our field. Um, and I'm sure I've raved about him multiple times, but Emil is the one that played on basically every TV and movie soundtrack since the original Planet of the Apes. Um, and he passed away in 2019, um, which I was going to say, also, I'm very proud of our, I think we have three memorial episodes. The Emil Richards one, uh, I had a bunch of people sit in clips. And then for Ted Atkatz and Christopher Dean, we had a bunch of their former students in a sort of roundtable discussion about them. Um, and the Dean one was very special to me because he was a, a former student, or excuse me, I was a former student of his, I should say. Um, so ben, that was, yeah. Don't don't kill Ted Atkatz. You mean you mean Alan Abel? <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, sorry, Alan Abel. Okay. Sorry. Ted Atkatz was on the like, episode. Get <laughs> I'm sorry, check. Ted. No. <laughs> Alan Abel and Christine, yeah, uh, not Ted Adkatz. Ted was on the episode. That's that's where I was uh, 
got my words mixed up. Um, but no, the reason that I said that wrong is because I was thinking about one of my funniest moments from the podcast. And I don't know if I should mention this or not, but I'll, I'll go ahead and put it out there. Um, way back when we had Anthony Cerrone on, um, of course, the famous author of Portraits and Rhythm. And Mr. Cerrone is an, you know, an older gentleman. Uh, he's still very, you know, very much with it. But uh, at one point during the episode, um, he said, oh, yeah, we, we just published the 50th anniversary episode of Portraits and Rhythm. And uh, I've, I've got a copy over here and then just stood up and like leaned over in front of the camera for a very long extended time. And all of us were like, oh, God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my uh, one of my funniest uh, <clears throat> moments. I, I, we might have edited that out. I'm not sure. <laughs> I hope I think we did. I think we did. Ksenia, I think you had um, I was going to say, I've mentioned this before, but I, I really want to say it again. I remember a year between my graduation uh, in Miami and coming back to the US, I was in Hong Kong and I taught middle school and high school, but was not necessarily very attached to percussion at all and was devastated. I think it was a, it was going through a period of depression because I was so detached from what I loved. And this podcast was my lifeline. And I remember vividly being on a treadmill every day and listening to stories every day. I didn't watch, I, I listened, but I went through the whole thing. And yet again, I've listened to a lot of them before, but I went through the whole thing yet again that year because it was so important to me to keep in touch and to hear new stories and to feel alive. And so um, for that, I'm so grateful to Casey and Megan and uh, that was still Laurel and Ben, that old crew, you were like the original Power Rangers to me. And so, it was really such an honor when Casey asked for me to be there. And then I had an argument with him about uh, Gladwell, I think, where I thought he's never going to talk to me again. But then he asked me to be on the podcast. Um, but I was going to say, I got a really nice message. Or we got a really nice message from a listener uh, from Slovenia who lives in Sweden, Philip. Uh, when we announced that we're leaving, he sent a personal message saying, why would I continue to practice if the ultimate goal of being an at percussion podcast guest is no longer achievable? <laughs> <laughs> Jokes aside, thank you for a mountain of invaluable advice, countless hours of entertainment and wonderful platform you provided through the years and hearts and smiley faces. And I think that really summarizes uh, what this podcast has been. For, for all of us. I mean, I got to meet a lot of people vicariously through those, these conversations of yours, and I'm so grateful. And then since I joined, I met over 100 people through the podcast, um, which is a lot. I mean, to meet 50 or so new people every year um, through this is just amazing. So the podcast was what I needed, and then I ended up being able to help. And I hope that people take ownership of that. And, you know, if you feel like you miss this, go make one on your own, you know, like if you need more of these conversations, start them yourselves and publish them. And we're going to listen. I'm definitely going to listen. But anyway, I really have so much love for this whole initiative and I'm so grateful that I got to be a part of it. And Casey, again, I can't believe it's been 10 years that we were able to like frame this conversation around you again, but you're just such a you're such a guiding light for all of us. So thank you. Oh, it's, you're welcome. That's huge. And and thanks, Philip. Yeah, because of course, I mean, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. And you're a huge part of this, you know? I mean, it's, you've been here years. It's a big deal. I, I was going to mention, I just wanted to talk about our, our uh, 
being funny here, but uh, the podcast demise. Um, and you can tell that we're, we're like, we're all great friends here and we're all, you know, happy to be here and getting along, but it's like, why, why, why is this project ending? Um, and it's like, I think that probably everyone would agree with me. Um, I'm a, I'm a big Calvin and Hobbes fan and Bill Watterson at the top of his game when Calvin and Hobbes was the number one comic strip in newspapers. Uh, he said, I've said all I want to say. And he ended the comic. Uh, and he said, I, you know, I didn't want it to go on for 50 years and, and be miserable in the end and a chore. And like all of us have absolutely loved and enjoyed this project. Um, but it's sort of like, okay, like we, we put out over 300 episodes of very high quality material with guests. And it like, it kind of like, I chuckle every time, like I see it, the, the podcast gets cited in a dissertation or someone at PASIC says, are you the guy from the podcast? And uh, it's, it's been fantastic for that. But we were all like, okay, it's just, it's time for us to, to do something different with our, with our time. So it's, it's not out of any place of bitterness or some falling out or something like that. It's just simply we've enjoyed our time and we want to just put a stamp on it and say, we're proud of what we've produced and, and kind of go do something else with our time. Um, which was, it was a, a, a somewhat, you know, it was a difficult decision just because the podcast has also become sort of a habit every Sunday we, we record. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, we're happy to, to have contributed what we've contributed. And, uh, like Senya said, if, if anyone else wants to pick up the torch and start a new percussion podcast with a group of friends, we will all be avid listeners and, uh, it's not it's not easy, but it's also not the hardest thing in the world. Um, it's certainly a lot easier than playing white knuckle stroll. Um, so yeah, please the next generation of great podcast hosts pick the uh, pick the torch up and and if you had any questions, we'll be happy to answer them. Well, so here's another question for our esteemed guest today, Casey. For for any of our listeners who are listening to Ksenia and thinking like, wow, I would like to start a podcast. What's your best advice? Right. So I, I've seen several over the course of this one come and go because I think people do it all by themselves. And um, for, for what I for what I wanted to do and for what we did for at least the first couple of years, we were like highly edited. I remember like we had Anders Estrand and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you from PTO Sweden. I like, you know, edited in a, a map of of pto like here's where he is on the map like you know it's not turned out that's not necessary <laughs> like in the in the end we ended up not really doing that for very long but in the in the beginning it was like a ton of ton of editing and a ton of time and we inserted everything and like we we took sound i sort of i sort of revisited that on the mary ellen childs episode i did because she's also like one of my huge influences and heroes and I thought okay like I'm about to do my last couple of hostings and I really need to do some some ones that are special to me and I guess like oh, I got to do Mary Ellen Childs and we were of course playing her piece at the time and all that but um that one I like did like high highly editing a lot of inserts a lot of overlays of her music and, and in part because her music is so visual but that's really like how the early episodes really were they had a lot a lot of editing in there and of course my fire for it in the beginning was you know the hottest it, it has ever been so I had the energy for that but I think you really like need a team you know like if you want to start one like try to get some people who are like going to share the workload and maybe you've seen this on my little announcement that we're we're ending the podcast already but the show probably lasted two years longer because uh Carly Ben Ksenia 
Caleb were willing to share the hosting, the booking, the editing load with me. Uh, so I used to kind of think, oh, the co-host will just help me like facilitate questions. They'll help me, of course, you know, fill the fill the air with discussion. But I think it it was so much more practical and just needed to have people who are going to like really balance the, the work that needs to be done all the way down to Ksenia starting the Instagram page, you know, um, and Caleb, I mean, up to the last minute, like Caleb was ready, like, yeah, cool, I'll take care of the Patreon stuff if you want me to, you know, like, we'll all do that. And, you know, so it's just like, yeah, like, take your time and find a group of people that are going to help you do all that because other, otherwise it's it's probably not gonna not gonna last unless your episodes are like really really simple and and you're you're not going to plan on doing much beyond just recording it the team is great for accountability too <laughs> just you know like hey if i don't post this or i don't do this like it's going to mess up our whole schedule and and you know i i don't i think it would have been so much harder not just workload but also like having a consistent output if I was trying to do something like this on my own. Training Ben to put his information on the sheet was like, I mean, it was like an epic accomplishment. Like that was like, I mean, that's like amazing. That's like potty training. Potty training, Robin, it's just like, wow, he did it. He did it. Yeah, Ben, you got it. You know, on that note, actually, we've talked about quote unquote the sheet so many times, but I don't think we've ever, ever shown anyone the sheet. So for uh, our last episode, uh, just yeah. in case you're wondering, like, what our sheet looks like, I think this is, this is fine to share. Um, I think they're going to be yeah, really disappointed and be like, what? It's just a sheet. Who cares? Yeah, it's literally just a, a Google <laughs> sheet. And so, um, yeah, whenever we have an episode, we just type on here, you know, 342, Megan Arns, whatever. Yes. That's, uh, that's how we do it. So that's the that's the infamous sheet that you've heard so much about. Um and then I think the other favorite feature of the podcast is the chat that happens running in the sidebar uh, while we're recording, uh, which we will never show you. Never show the, <laughs> never show the chat. Uh, because we'd like to keep our jobs. But Megan, I think you had something. Well, I was just I was just going to say along the advice, you know, for, for people starting podcasts, too, is that there's so much value in diversity. And, and uh, I think, you know, I can't remember who was mentioning that. Oh, Cassandra, you were talking about how uh, you've met so many people through the podcast. I mean, that was huge for me too. It's like, who's, oh, who's this person? Ben put this person on the spreadsheet. Oh, wait, no, it's not on the spreadsheet, but we're having this get, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I feel like you can like hear Casey's voice. I was like, Ben, use the spreadsheet. <laughs> Megan, I did get a little better over time. I'm not saying I'm great, but I got better. <laughs> you got, you got, yeah, you got, you got real good. I always got excited the rare chance I could call out Casey for not filling this. <laughs> <laughs> if I would forget, then I'd be like, Casey, you got to do the sheet. <laughs> yeah. Casey, we talked about this. But there are just so many amazing people in the percussion community. And there's, you know, we've only explored 340 of them. Uh, and there's just so much more. And the deeper that you dig, the more people appear. And you can't do that alone. You know, your circle only extends so far. And so this, for me, was a wonderful way to extend that circle and to see into other people's circles and kind of see how those overlap. And Ben, you were saying, you know, meeting people in person after after speaking with them on the podcast. Sometimes at PASIC, I would get confused. I'd be like, wait, have we met before? Or is it just online? <laughs> um, and that would happen a lot. And so, yeah, I think, you know, if you are thinking about starting a podcast and, and having a panel of people, you know, like think about people outside of your circle. 
because that can can make an even greater circle and hopefully dive deeper into this really cool world that we live in as percussionists. You know what I think was amazing the first year or two maybe that I was on the podcast um, I, I remember thinking like are we going to run out of guests like who can who else can we have and we never did we never came close never. like there, there was right. never a point where our list was non-existent or like well we've had everybody that that we want to have and there's just so many um, interesting stories and and backgrounds and experiences and the amazing thing too is that people kept wanting to talk with us. I was going to say we we talked about our our favorite episodes, but Megan brought up this point of meeting new people. And uh, if we could go around the room again, I wanted to ask who was your favorite new person that you met through the podcast? And I'll start while everyone thinks of their answers, or not necessarily your favorite out of 342, but one of your favorites, we'll say. Uh, but for me, one of my favorites, someone I had never heard of that I would never have encountered without the podcast was Patty Nimi. Uh, the author of the book, Sticking It Out. And we had her on twice, once as a solo guest, and then the second time during the pandemic with Chris Devinney as a, a co-guest. Um, but Patty wrote this wonderful book called Sticking It Out, um, which is more relevant even today than it was uh, a few days ago after the latest allegations out of Juilliard. Um, but Patty is just like the sweetest, nicest person and is an amazing percussionist and is my absolute favorite Facebook friend because she constantly posts these amazing pictures of her cute cat whose name is Steve Weiss. Um, and I'm actually, it's, it's worth the share. I'm gonna sh screen share my favorite recent Steve picture from Patty Nimi. Here's uh, Steve with his little Steve. <laughs> so if you're not, not watching on YouTube, you should definitely check it out. But um, so yeah, for me, one of my favorite people I've met via the pad podcast was Patty Nimi. Um, but anyone else want to jump in with your favorite person you've met or one of your favorite people? I, I would say um, uh, we haven't said anything about our satellite co-hosts, our ringers, Brian Nosny, Tracy Wiggins, uh, Brandon Arve, Bill Schaltus. We mentioned, maybe mentioned Bill earlier, but um, I feel like having them, they were all guests at some point and um, again, podcast advice, like if you're selecting your team, also consider people being substitutes. Um, like I remember Megan was doing her comp exams at Eastman and she just said, guys, I'm, this is so hard. I'm swamped, swamped, swamped. And I, I need some time. Like I need to not do either not host or not do some episodes, something. We were like, cool, no problem. Like that's the great thing about having a team. If you can't be there this time, other people can help you out and fill in. So we've had these these uh, satellite co-hosts, Brian Nosny, Bill Schaltus, Tracy Wiggins, and, and those I mentioned. And I just say, like, I think my favorite thing about, like, I, I met them a long time ago, but getting to know them better, you know, as, as co-hosts has, has been really cool. And I mean, I could say the same thing about all y'all, you know, that's, that's been my favorite thing. It's one thing just to meet someone, but I think it's another thing to, like, have an ongoing, like, working relationship. One of the, uh, my favorite pieces of podcast lore is that Brian Nosny was a graduate student uh, when I was an undergrad at North Texas. And when he was on the podcast, I jokingly asked, like, who is your favorite undergrad student in North Texas? And Brian had no recollection of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, a, that was a fun one. Caleb, what about you? Let's go in reverse order this time. Uh, yeah, probably. If I had to throw the three, it'd be Bill, Tracy, and Brian. Getting to know all, I mean, I talked to Brian pretty regularly, and it's been nice to know them. Um, 
as far as a guest goes, probably Rainalise Herrera is probably the person that kind of sticks out the most as that I've talked to her and, you know, on and off every now and then and uh, just a cool person and interesting projects they're involved in. And Carly, what about you? Yeah, Raina's the best. Ben, I was going to say about Patty Nimi after that was another one of my favorites as a listener. After I listened to your episode, I wasn't on the show yet. I bought her book and I read it and I was like, so good. So thanks for that. Um, yeah, two people. I, I knew of these people, of course, but um, it was super cool to meet them on the podcast where when we had Ben Walland on um, and also Alan Audie was like, that was a super highlight episode. Ksenia? Uh, I, the person that I've developed a wonderful friendship with was is Steve Schick. And of course I knew of him before, but just, um, I, I mean, I cried throughout our meeting, you know, that during that podcast. And I feel like anytime I speak to him, he again, makes me cry in a good way. That's all in a good way. Cause he inspires me so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, there were a lot of people who came on the podcast as, uh, contacts of mine. And I'll say this, this is a recommendation for all of you. If you want to meet someone, the strange thing is, especially if you're meeting online, they're more likely to want to meet you if you're recording the conversation than if you're just asking for a virtual coffee. So it was easier to get Evelyn Glennie, you know, to talk to us with this excuse of a podcast that if we were just like, hey, we're a group of four college teaching nerds, you know, <laughs> as they want to talk to you. So for me, it was, you know, meeting Wave Quartet, Bogdan Bakano, especially, Christos Zitz and Kai Strobel, you know, uh, some of these folks, uh, Simone Rubino, who was lovely some of these folks that I've known of and I'm sort of like internet friends with, but never had the opportunity to really deep dive into a conversation like that. Um, that's been really lovely. So um, yeah, but I, if I have to take one, it's, it's definitely chic. And Megan, what about you? Yeah, I don't know if I could pick one either, but um, I, I also agree that, you know, reaching out to people online, that was something I was, I was going back through the list just now. And I was just thinking, okay, I knew this person before, or did I not know this person before? It's hard to even remember now sometimes, but I, I do also remember specific instances where it was just like, okay, who would be someone great that I've never met before that we could reach out to? Um, one of those is Excelsius Quartet. I hadn't ever, I, I think I knew Mariana a little bit, but the other women in that group, I didn't know. And, um, know a little bit better now and so i think um that was another a cool way this is a really great platform to meet people through in that way other people um that maybe i haven't really kept in touch with but uh ben your teacher sriji i thought that episode was really really interesting and ejen fang as well i didn't know her at all um, and then back to episode one with brian calhoun i feel like i've run into brian quite a bit since that first episode and um, i didn't know him before that so, yeah. Brian was our uh, test subject. We were like, we're, we might be doing a podcast and we want to try it with a guest. Could you, if it's good, we'll release it. If it's not, we're just going to scrap this whole thing. So yeah, we, need a, we need a buddy who will be gentle with us. I love that Brian was the first episode. And I think uh, at one point, and I'm guessing probably also still, Brian was by far like the most watched episode for being episode one. Because mm -hmm. then you had something. I was going to ask uh, our creator, um, what would he like to do in the next 10 years? Because you're not only about performing and composing. I know you always have extra projects. 
what's going to replace this time for you? Um, I'm not sure yet, really. Um, yeah, Ben Ben wrote sleep. I mean, yeah, I think it's just going to be life, you know, stuff. And I don't know, you know, it's, um, and I think it's, it's not just about time. You know, I think you guys kind of solves the time issue for me. I mean, you guys share all the work. And it's like, if you look at the, the, the sheet and how often I would have to host and produce, I mean, it's like, Jesus, like one a month, you know, I mean, it's really, really, um, really practical. Um, but, but I think, um, I don't know, like, you know, when we started it, there was a, a really big, I think, need for it. And there's, there's a lot of great podcasts now, you know, and um, in a way it's like, I feel like, oh, it's cool. I'll just, I'll just listen. <laughs> I'll just start listening to these other ones. Um, uh, like I, I wanted to do that last round table with some other podcast creators like Pete Zambito and the discussions in percussion podcast. It's like, yeah, there's just like so many of these cropping up and, and even some folks, they, even if they don't do it like routinely, like we do, like, I know you click on, like, like Doug Perkins was doing one for a while, you know, um, and, and um, yeah, you click on his website, he's got like a little like podcast section, which is like, I don't know, there's like a dozen episodes or something. And like, there's just, there's a lot of it out there to find. And you certainly do learn better by doing it yourself. I mean, the fact that we'll like record it and then go edit it and you're, just, you're listening to it twice and you're maybe looking up little details or someone mentioned a name, you go like, what's that name? I want to put it in the in the show tag so what is that name let's make sure i spell it right blah, blah blah i mean you you definitely learn more by doing it so um yeah i forgot your original question sorry but something about that what's what is your vision where do you see yourself in five years you know i oh right yeah um yeah i i, I mean I, I really enjoy everything about what's happening now like it's just it's just like yeah school is great composing's fun performing's great I, I just like I, I want more of the same <laughs> you know I just I want more of the same I like it you know I think it's that simple well you gave me a little perfect segue there into one of our final questions of the podcast but before that I put a pin in that I just wanted to mention also one thing that I don't think anyone mentioned was um during the pandemic this was like such a great project like the first six months, especially when we we're all locked in our houses, and it was so easy to get people to talk to us. <laughs> like, what else are you doing? <laughs> so <clears throat> that was that was great for all of us. Um, but uh, Casey, you you were talking about composing, and we have two questions um, that were sort of composition related. Um, so I thought I'd kind of group them together. Uh, Luca Vidala asks. You are my greatest mentor. My question is, uh, how come you composed and what? I think the basically the question is, why why were you interested in composing? Um, and then another question from I apologize apologize if I butcher this name, Acuel Locavallo. Sorry again. Um, in case you wanted, would it be possible for you to make your living as just a composer? And I wanted to ask, maybe sort of tag on to the first question here. Um, it's, it's interesting to me when you see a composer where you can't find any very clear point of reference for their work. Like George Crumb, I think, is a great example where, mm -hmm. yes, he's influenced by all the great masters before him, and there's certainly some uh, you know, Bach sort of chorale ideas, but George Crumb is George Crumb. He's his own animal completely. Um, and so, or Harry Parch is another one. But Casey, like some of your more out there music, the sort of theatrical stuff, 
I don't see any point of reference that I can say, oh yeah, Casey was totally riffing on Varez there. So did that all just come to you in a fever dream or or what? <laughs> well, I think the, uh, thanks Ben, the, uh, I think theatrical stuff, I definitely like, yeah, I mean, played Mary Ellen Childs when I was a student, you know, in, in grad school and saw how she visually notated and choreographed everything. And uh, prior to that played, like we all have Terry DeMay's table music and saw how he visually choreographed and used everything. And the the interest for me started much younger, like in, in high school, we did these little like stomp kind of shows where we took buckets and big sticks and we just kind of wrote them ourselves. And we had to kind of figure out how to notate that stuff because we could all kind of read music and we were all young and learning but we had to kind of experiment and, and figure that out and i mostly spearheaded those projects and uh, you know of course i had my my teacher childhood teacher dennis griffin like helping me oh you probably would notate that like this or whatever but it was cool to then grow up and go to school and find there's actually this you know for lack of a better term like like serious music that kind of does the same thing you know it has all the same fun tropes and I, I think both table music and Mary Ellen Child's piece click they they have this amazing appeal because all the audience you've got the little kids will walk away from both of those performances just like smiling and laughing at what they saw and then on you'll have the whole row of composition faculty also going like hmm, yeah it's very fascinating interesting there was a counterpoint and they're like it's like it somehow appeals on this super uh this this um level that anyone can connect with and comes off as fun but also this level that is like really academic or whatever so it's like, it's like that, a pixar movie like there's stuff for the right. little kids and stuff for the adults <laughs> yeah like like there's something really good for everyone you know in, in those pieces so i think discovering terry demay and discovering mary ellen childs really showed me like hey you can you can still do that stuff and and now that you're in graduate school and you've been through music theory and you have this new appreciation for form and composition, blah, 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 blah. There's like still a good place to put all that energy. And then let's see, there were some questions about uh, composition as far as like how I became interested in it. I'm not really sure how, but I mean, it's just, I mean, composition to me, it's, it's, it's just as interesting as performing a piece you find interesting. It's like, oh, I love interesting stuff. I wanna play interesting stuff. Well, yeah, same thing. I wanna write interesting stuff. I have this, this itch that I, I i want to explore you know just like when you see a, a new piece for the first time you see carly play this cool piece at her basic concert and you go like oh that's awesome i want to play that so you feel this itch to play it i think composition is really one and the same and like the same way you would figure out the piece carly played and learn it yourself you would you know figure out your own composition and, and just write it down because it's it's just enjoyable and it's fun and it's satisfying and then i guess the other question was about um, can you make a living as a composer? So I'm not sure if you're talking about me. The answer is probably, oh, gosh, I'd be really broke, but sure, I guess I wouldn't I feel like I was going to say not, not to not to put words in Casey's mouth. I hate to answer the question for Casey. But yeah, the question was basically, Casey, if you wanted to, could you be a full time composer? But I think that that would be the greatest tragedy for our art form to have Casey only doing one half of the equation. I think like the the thing that's so great about you is the composition and the performance and the like the recordings you produce like the the total package of your product is it's not just a composition and like the snare drum piece with the metronome like if you didn't make a recording of that no one would know how to play it it's it's like it's not just right
creating the music. It's the sort of whole conception. So sorry to answer the question for you, but uh, you disagree? I mean, <laughs> no, awesome, dude. Thanks a lot. That's like super duper nice. I, I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's um, I, I would I think like most composers. I mean, referring again back to Mary Ellen Child's episode. I mean, she primarily is is a, is a composer, but she also told us that she's had opportunities to work at university that she she hasn't taken any permanent ones but she's done teaching and she's done sabbatical replacements i mean certainly like it's a it's a better living as a um doing more i think you know and and sometimes people get into this nonsense about like well you only teach because you can't do anything better and it's just it's just like it's just like stupid like sorry straight up like it's just like a stupid opinion that you don't have to spend too much time on google to learn that's like not accurate you know it's like it's not very you're tripping over people that performers who you admire th that are also teaching regularly and I mean I think Ben put it really well it's like yeah like there's so much more to 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 my own composition like the last one we did we recorded my colleague's piece Eric Genevina's new awesome rumba quartet and like yeah like Eric and I I mean we we spent so much time recording that with the students and it, it felt like like true collaboration you know I mean it felt so good and there's like no doubt my composition side is is like gonna benefit from that you know so so much and it's like yeah every semester we try to turn out some 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 good quality recordings and some new pieces and record students works record my colleagues works I mean it's just like yeah of course you'd want to do that it's the best thing to do you know yeah Megan yeah, no, Casey, you kind of remind me of like the the Ray Helble Lee Howard Stevens mm -hmm. pairing, right? But you're like in built into uh -huh. one, and you know, it's it's like I think if that the performer side of you didn't exist, you wouldn't be challenging us in challenging percussion technique in the way that you are. I feel like I always have a student playing a Casey Cancelosi piece, and almost always they get to, get to a point in the piece they're like this looks really easy but it's so hard and mm. i'm like yeah you think casey's just gonna write something easy <laughs> and you know it, it almost is like that you you come up with these things of, or, or you're you're challenging the art form in a way of like okay this looks easy but wait can i do this i can't do it i'm gonna learn how to do it and then you know that at least that's what i'm learning from your pieces and so i'm always kind of reminding the students of that and uh, i think it's good for them to experience that too, right? Because you can look at something and say, oh, that looks really easy. But until you experience it, you really, you, you, they learn more about percussion by, they learn more about learning by having to go through this process, right? Sure. And they're yeah. forced to go through that process. So yeah, I agree. Don't stop playing. <laughs> Don't well, stop playing. Thanks. That, that's really awesome. And I, I, it just reminds me of, a, you know, the first time I experienced the, the notion that like the percussion concerto back when I was growing up does not cannot stand up to even an average piano concerto like they're at most schools. They're in separate categories because and you could say the same thing about a woodwind concerto or, you know, I mean, but but percussion especially. So it seemed like it does seem like a period of growth we we needed to go through, especially when we were all younger, like, wait, let's show everyone we can do more with percussion and that you could possibly like, you know, have a, a really nasty percussion concerto that might rival, you know, a, a Rachmaninoff piano concerto or something. And I don't know if we're there yet necessarily. It's, that's, of course, in the eye of the beholder. But it, it's, it's kind of tricky because I think sometimes people say, like, well, if you're all about like technique and speed and virtuosity, like you're, you're not intellectual or you're, 
you're you're just kind of a jock and it's like yeah it's kind of true but i think it is also kind of important for the craft that like it, it gets pushed sometimes you know we do have to push that sometimes there's some episode i think it was um i feel like it was i, I don't know I, I shouldn't even say names because it might not be nice but like someone said like well i don't care anything about virtuosity as if to apply, imply like well like that that makes you really intellectual oh sorry it was a basic panel it wasn't even our show it was a basic panel and one percussionist was saying like well i don't care anything about virtuosity virtuosity does not matter to me and then the composer who was jury ceo who we have had on the show that's why i was confused not a percussionist pianist and composer at uh princeton right ben Stanford somewhere yeah, amazing Princeton. Princeton yeah yeah right like she's the replacement for Paul freaking Lansky um she was like well I mean I I do care about virtuosity somewhat you know it's like no it's ridiculous to say like it doesn't matter at all I and mean, this is a human a, a human presentation thing that we're, that we're that we're doing you know there's a reason we don't listen to a machine do it I mean anyway I'm, I'm kind of rambling I think you guys get the point so that's I was going to say, though, Casey, if you do ever want to become a full-time composer, that's a lot more gigs for the rest of us. So feel free to quit. <laughs> we'll take the gig. Uh, <laughs> I'm not taking too many gigs. Um, well, as we move to our, our sort of final wrap ever, I had this, this brilliant question for our closer. Uh, if you could have one guest, uh, or who, basically, who's your dream guest, past or present person, um, and for me, I think, uh, we're talking about podcast guests here, I should say, um, for me, I, I don't think I'll surprise anyone when I say that mine is Keiko Abe. Um, and uh, we even tried a couple times to, to reach out, but we just couldn't, couldn't make it happen. But if I could record one more podcast episode for me, it would be Keiko Abe. I'm going to, I'm going to call on people. Carly, you're up first. Well, Ben, since you took Keiko Abe, I guess I can't say her. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to have one of my former teachers, Tony Ames, um, who is principal percussionist at the National Symphony for something like 42 years or something like that. Always wanted to have him on and he was a little shy about it, but I think that would have been a fun one. What about Ksenia? Stravinsky and see what he thinks of my right of spring. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that, I, mean, I, I was actually thinking, I was like, also Beethoven, but yeah, Stravinsky, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might be like, hey, what do you think of this? Um, but of people that I've asked and that have declined that I was very curious about because I think they um, their career exists at a, as a, at a very different level um, is Martin Grubinger. Because um, so many people had so many questions, you know, for him and, and I did too. But um, even during the pandemic, that was the one person that not even during the pandemic uh, had the time for this. So... We'll have to dig through his brain at another time, another podcast. We're behind you. Just go for it. Ask him. Um, let's go with Megan next. Well, if it was like a, if, if we could do another person again, I'd have to go with Ksenia with uh, Steve Schick. Like that episode to me was just like, I mean, he is just a living legend in percussion. And especially like in this type of format when he's using words, it's just like unbelievable hearing from him. So that would be first choice. But someone who we haven't interviewed would be Kaya Sariaho. Yeah. Awesome. The composer? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. What about you, Casey? Uh, Nancy Pants. I, I feel like I reached out yeah. to Nancy, Nancy Zeltzman uh, for it. And I, she said no, but it, it wasn't like a hard no. I don't think it was like a no, not ever. It was just maybe a no, right, not right now. And I feel like 
not too long after that she did i um steve weiss was hosting like a facebook live q a kind of thing with people and i happened to do it and i heard her on it and i just i just i mean she's one of my old teachers and it just like i feel like I strive to teach the way Nancy teaches, which is like, okay, let me try to tell you something that <laughs> like, I don't think you've heard before. Um, and that I, I hope is like, like different and maybe only I can tell you, like, I, I don't know, like, and, and maybe that's not always the best way to teach because sometimes what they need to hear is something any teacher could tell them. And it's something simple about technique or something. But I, I always feel like, when Nancy tells you something, it is just like, yeah, I, I've only heard this from you and only you would have found this right now is to say. And after hearing her do that Facebook Q&A, I reached out to her and just said, like, I just I miss having I, I, I miss hearing like where your headspace is because it's like it's so good. You know, it is like such a good headspace. And I think she's I just think she's a genius. So it would have been, it would have been. I, awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I loved hearing Carly talk about Nancy when we were together in, in grad school, just the, <laughs> like, the reverence that all of Nancy's ultimate students had for her was just so cool to hear. And she also, she did Doug Perkins thing too, I think there's a, there's an episode of that with Nancy. So while she is not on this podcast, she has been podcast documented by someone. So that's good. And but, Doug, but Doug was her colleague at Boston Conservatory. So she kind of had to, she didn't want to. <laughs> no way. She was kind of forced to, you know, I think. Doug, yeah. And Caleb, what about you? So I have a real answer, but uh, a colleague who's doing music priest just sent me this text. Uh, the xylophone consists of a set of wooden bars that are struck with two hard hammers. And that's a little glare that's a nice vibraphone so maybe if we could get somebody in the textbook world uh that does that stuff but we've reached out to him before but uh for me i think it'd be joe schwatner yeah and he was another one that was uh not a no but a not right now sort of thing oh yeah for sure yeah awesome well i think our uh final question ever on the podcast comes from shane roderick and it's uh what was the year for bartok sonata for two pianos and two percussion uh that was composed in 1937 and the concerto version was composed in 1942 and it was bartok's final performance in uh 1943 i believe uh with his wife with the new york philharmonic that uh concerto version so actually like all jokes aside sort of a, an interesting factoid to end on on the podcast so uh unless anyone has anything else thank you so much to all of our listeners for these past few years it's been a pleasure and we are so happy that this uh, archive will remain up on youtube in perpetuity so you can uh reference it for any sort of research papers anything like that um casey i think you had one final remark yeah, I guess just housekeeping things. The archive will stay. Uh, as far as patrons, I've told you all this, but um, I'll keep the audio archive up as long as there's funding for it. So the Patreon page will will stay up, and um, yeah, we'll keep the, the the audio archive up with that. It's about one hundred and fifty dollars a year. Some of that's not very expensive, but um, yeah, thanks everyone like for your just for all your work. I mean, it's like been like a really cool like long term service project that's that's done now. So uh, it feels good. I feel like you guys did like a really awesome job and we made a cool thing. So thanks a bunch and thanks everyone for listening. It's been it's been like super fun and enlightening. And Ksenia, you had something. 
as the Instagram queen, um, I wanted to say, because I get a little bit more of contact with the listeners, really thank you so, so, so much for every time you sent in a question, every time you you have shared that an episode meant something to you. It gave us that emotional juice to keep going because it really does matter so much to us that this serves you. And um, to have such a lovely community, not just here as we get to speak, but you know, of all of you that uh, observe and listen, that's just really wonderful. It's a pleasure to be a part of. So thank you for your support throughout the years. All right, I'll jump in with thanks to thanks to, of course, our listeners, fellow co-hosts, um, current and past, our ringers, and um, all 340 guests or so that agreed to join us in this massive project. But thank you. I'm, I'm grateful for um, having been involved in it. And uh, Ksenia had asked Casey what he's going to do with his time now that the podcast is over. Um, but I would like to announce my Kickstarter. For, it's a vibraphone with a battery. <laughs> so you can charge it. And then when it's time to perform, you can wheel it on stage and there's there's no cord. So uh, on, be on the, the damn motor, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, thank you so much, everyone, for, for all these years of your listening. Thanks, like Carly said, to all of our guests and all of our uh, co-hosts, uh, whether they're past co-hosts like Megan, current co-hosts, or our Ringers team. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. It's been a joy to bring you this project, and we hope you have a good rest of 2022. Thanks so much.